So we turn once again to the book of Hebrews that we are studying together. We're in chapter 4. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you can use the Bible that's in the pew or in the chair in front of you and turn to page 1002 where you'll find Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13, but focusing on the first 11 verses. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, again we pray, bless us as we come to your word that we may embrace this word, that we may believe this word, that we may live this word out in our lives by your powerful Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about the subject of rest. After all, that word rest is used Six times here in the passage we read, and it's used two times in the chapter right before on this same subject. I'd like to introduce our subject with a song by Kelly Clarkson that many of you know, Peace by Peace, in which she addresses her father who had abandoned her as a child. And she tells him in this song how her husband's love has brought healing in her life. The psalm begins this way. And all I remember is your back. 
walking towards the airport, leaving us all in your past. I traveled 1,500 miles to see you. I begged you to want me, but you didn't want to. But piece by piece, he collected me up off the ground where you abandoned things. Piece by piece, he filled the holes that you burned in me. Six years old. And you know, he never walks away. He never asks for money. He takes care of me. He loves me piece by piece. He restores my faith that a man can be kind and the father could stay. I think this song helps to open up the first point I want us to consider this morning. And that is the meaning of rest. The meaning of rest. One could say in relationship to her former experience with her dad that Kelly Clarkson now with her husband has entered rest. Her husband's love has been a restoration of her life. Piece by piece, he collected me off the ground. Piece by piece, he filled the holes you burned in me. And this this illustrates in some ways the idea of rest Not only here in Hebrews, but throughout the whole of the Bible and the New Testament itself. The final rest of God will be a rest from turmoil and conflict and broken relationships. It'll be a rest from oppression and abuse, from disability and disease and death, from loneliness and heartache. From loss, abandonment, crime, war. It will be a rest from all things evil. As Revelation 21 puts it, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is rest. So rest is total well-being in every way imaginable, in every part of your humanity. It's synonymous with the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. Shalom means wholeness. It, It means being put back together again, unlike Humpty Dumpty, right? It It means flourishing and fulfillment and fullness in every part of life. We touched on this in the song, Be Still My Soul, where he says, Be still, my soul, the hours hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. It's speaking of that rest. So this is a little bit of the meaning of rest. But let's go from meaning then to talk about the origin of this rest. And this is a central point that the writer is making here of the origin and what it means for us. Because as we see here, rest does not refer in the first place to the future rest to be enjoyed by humanity, 
But in the first place, it refers to God's own rest from the foundation of the world. It refers to that in verse 3 and verse 4. So, in the first place, it refers to God's rest. That means that it's always been available. It's always been there because God's entered into it. And his point here is that it's available for the people of God. So, notice in verse 3, he recalls what God says in Psalm 95. I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, here the psalmist is talking about God's judgment on Israel. When the people of Israel did not believe in God's promise of his presence and his protection as they went into Canaan, they did not believe that and they refused to enter the land of Canaan. But just notice this little personal pronoun. He said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, he's not meaning here the rest I have provided for you. But he's talking about the rest I have entered into, the rest I enjoy, my rest, you see. And then it's as though the author asks, now, how could he say my rest? What is he talking about here? My rest. And then he takes us back to the creation itself. Where God created the world in six days. And then right after that in Genesis 2, it says what he quotes here. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And then he jumps back to Psalm and says, that's why he says my rest. Okay. It's my rest. He entered it there. It's my rest. And so here's his application. And this is what's so important for us. God didn't, God's rest didn't just affect him. It created something for us to enter into and to enjoy. That's why he says in verse 6, it remains for some to enter it. In verse 9, he says, there remains a rest for the people of God. And in verse 10, he says, whoever has entered God's rest. You see, it's his rest. He's enjoying it. We have the prospect of entering into his rest. And so the Bible teaches that when God entered his rest, he established in that the future goal of mankind and the future goal of all creation. In this rest, he set the whole course of the world. It was his intention from the beginning to give that rest to his people. And so you have to imagine this, that even from the beginning, there was if we'd even lived in a perfect world and there'd been no fall, there would be the kind of this cocoon stage of this life and all that we would do in this life. And then the entering into the butterfly stage, the rest stage, this glorious fulfillment and consummation of all things. So, this, was, this is the origin of rest, the meaning of rest, ceasing from all evil in this world, but now the origin goes all the way back to God himself in his own rest 
after creation. So, meaning and origin, but let's talk now about the recovery of rest. Though God established this rest, and the goal was for mankind to enter this rest, mankind turned its back upon God. And when we rebelled against God, we lost the possibility of that rest. And so instead of this rest of joy and majesty and fulfillment, we fell under judgment with, you might say, the rest of eternal death. That's the rest we inherited because of our sin. But you see, God's rest was so much his goal for mankind that the whole of Scripture is the story of God restoring the pathway to rest through his Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ is the recovery of rest. You see, Joshua did, after Israel first turned away from the land, after 40 years in the wilderness, Joshua brought the people of Israel into Canaan, which is the earthly picture of the final rest. But it was just a symbol. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. But Jesus, who is also Yahshua, it's the same word, the new Yahshua, through his dying for our sin and his resurrection from the dead, himself in his glorified body entered into that final rest of God. Now that is glorious to think. Jesus in his resurrection entered in, just like he entered into the true temple in heaven, he entered into the true rest of heaven that God had prepared even at the beginning. And because we are united to this Christ, he opened this rest of God for us so that the resurrection began the promised rest of God. And he brings us into this rest that we can even taste now in this life that will finally reach its wonderful consummation in the final day. We can now enter that rest and can now begin to enjoy that which has been restored for us in Christ. And so the final rest that was only pictured in Canaan has now become available in Christ. And we even now begin to enjoy it, awaiting its consummation. That's the glory of what Christ has done. That's why later in chapter 12, he can say, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels. And he continues to describe it. You've already come to Mount Zion. You've already planted your your foot in the holy city. Your citizenship is there. Your citizenship is with God. And even here in this passage, in verse 3, he says, We who have believed present tense enter that rest or are entering that rest. We enter it now. That rest is for us. So we begin to live out that rest 
in our own joy, in our own shalom, in our own restoration right now. We begin to live out that rest as we escape the dominion of sin and death. And we're brought under the tender lordship of our kind Savior. That is rest. As we become the children of God, safe in our Father's house, in our being freed from the fear of death and judgment, we begin to taste that, wet, that rest. In our beginning to walk in love as he loved us in Christ, we're beginning to live out that rest. So in Christ, the future rest has broken into this torn and broken world. That's the glory of what Christ has done. The rest has broken in and taken hold of us. So there is the, there's the meaning of rest. There's the origin of rest. Here's the recovery of rest. And finally, the celebration of rest. The celebration of rest. You see in verse 9, he takes a different word than the word rest he's been using. And it's translated differently where it says, since, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This Greek word, sabbatismos. Well, actually, he coins a word here. Like it's not found anywhere in the New Testament. It's not found anywhere in the Greek Old Testament. They think he invented the word right here to use. And the reason is this. The, the verb form of this word means to celebrate the Sabbath. It stresses festivity and joy that we express when we adore God. And so he wanted to bring this aspect of rest into view. A good translation would be there remains a Sabbath celebration for the people of God. So you see, it's a rest of adoration. If you've been ever caught, and some of you can describe your own form of this. I'll throw out a few. This one I haven't seen, but you know how much I want to do this. But if you've ever been caught in sudden awe at the sight of a whale breaching right near your boat, some of you say, yep, I've been there, right? Or the sight of the aurora borealis. Just stunned by the lights or maybe it's simply a gorgeous sunset or what happened to me one day when a cardinal landed on my windowsill 12 inches from me and he graciously stayed there for a minute so I could watch him. And I'm just, don't move, don't breathe, don't scare him away. How long will he stay? So everything is lost in that moment, isn't it? When you're just captivated and you're hardly breathing, you see some aspect of beauty. You see, in some way, this is the tiniest taste of the Sabbath celebration. This rest of joy, this rest of admiration. Somehow we will experience that exhilaration forever as we reign in the new creation. For Jesus says, we, the meek, will inherit the earth, the new heavens and the new earth. So all of our relationships in that day will partake of that exhilaration. All of our responsibilities 
will be imbibed with that exhilaration. All of our collaboration, all of our accomplishment in the new creation will taste of this exhilaration. This rest that God entered from the foundation of the world. And that we get to enter in that day. And we get to even taste right now. One Jewish writing expresses it this way. The righteous will rule as they refresh themselves in the splendor of God's glory. I love how that's put. Refreshing ourselves in the splendor of God's glory. That's what we were made for. To feast on the beauty of God. And it will be opened up to us forever in that day. Let's apply this in a few ways. Certainly we have to grapple with what he says here in application. And that is verse 11. Let us strive to enter that rest. The danger that they were facing and the danger really that the people of God anywhere are facing is that we would turn in unbelief away from this God, that we would exhibit, as it says in 1 John, that we were really not a part of the people of God by our unbelief. Strive to enter in that rest. But how do we strive? He gives that in verse 3. We who have believed enter that rest. You strive or you enter the rest by trusting the promises of God. By trusting in the goodness of God. Believing in the reality of God's love in Christ. And entrusting yourself into the hands of that gracious God. Who would even give his son to die for sinners. And I believe that this concept of... Well, I'll say this concept of rest helps me to trust God. It helps me trust in his goodness. It helps me trust in his plan for me that right after creation, he entered into this rest and created it, intending it for his people. That's how taken up God is with our well-being. You finish with creation, I got to create this rest for these people. That's what he's all about. And that's what his restoration is all about. It's always been the plan. It was so important that he himself took upon himself flesh to suffer and die for us so that he could still give it to us. And so I encourage you, entrust yourself to this gracious God who desires your happiness so thoroughly. Don't. Turn away from him as Israel did right on the cusp of this glorious land that they could have inherited. And they walked away because they didn't believe in the promise of his presence and protection. And many times that's our temptation, especially when we're going through the most difficult things is to begin to think he just doesn't protect me. He's not with me. He hates me. That's what they said. God just hates us. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. There are very few things that give me the heebie-jeebies more than dark water at night. 
I'm, I want to hang glide. I want to jump out and parachute. I want to do a lot of things that Kay says I can't do till she dies. Um, and I'm not praying for her early death. Believe me, I'm just... <laughs> um, but can you imagine being on a warm boat, well-supplied, well-lit, all this wonderful thing, comfortable, and somebody luring you to the edge of the water, night, everything's black, and causing you to jump in? You'd think a thousand people could offer me in. I'm not, because in my mind, I jump in, the sharks find me in five minutes, and I'm in 12 different stomachs in 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> That's what's going to happen to me if I jump in the dark water. But you see, this is what sin attempts to do to you. To have you jump out of the promise, out of the inheritance, out of the rich protection of God. And to plunge yourself in the black water where there is only judgment and the dominion of sin leading to final death. That concept of being in the, the ship of his rest helps me to think I'm not going to abandon this ship. I'm not going to jump off it into the dark water. And the way he repeats today here makes us realize we stand before this promise, just like the Israelites. Don't deny that promise. And if you've never trusted Christ, how I urge you, trust this Christ, who this God who has longed for you to enter into his rest from the foundation of the world and has created the possibility that you can enter into his rest through coming in the person of Christ. And... Two things, and I just will mention them in terms of application. Expand your adoration of God. Nothing will help you grow in your faith more than expanding the object of your faith through adoration and praise. Expand your vision of God. Expand the grip of his beauty on your soul, on your heart, on your conviction that he's acting for your good, on your conviction that you live in the full favor of God, confidence that he's worth. Praise does these things. Praise enlarges God. And Thirdly, finally, pursue humility and love. We just read uh, Matthew 11, where he says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. As you seek to live out humility, starting with those closest to you, you will walk into more and more experience of the rest of God. A corollary is where Jesus, talking about love in John 15, says, I've spoken these things about love so that you would know my joy and your joy will be full. So see, love and humility bring about what? Rest and joy, even now. No surprise, because God in Christ exhibited infinite love and humility as he laid down his life. That's God's joy and rest that he loves so intensely and that he is so other-centered to give himself away. That's his joy and rest. And so application is right there. 
grow, especially with those closest to you. And I leave you with the Heidelberg Catechism, another Reformed confession, in the answer, how do we keep the Sabbath in the New Testament context? And listen to how he puts it. That all the days of my life, I rest from my evil works, let the Lord work in me by his Holy Spirit, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. There you go. Let's live out the eternal Sabbath, even now. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, bless us. Pour out your grace in our lives, Lord, and enable us to walk in your rest, even now, looking forward to that final day in the consummation of rest. In Jesus' name we pray.